your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, the official podcast of um, Wisconsin and Ohio State. What else is there to talk about at this point, really? Um, it was a hell of a week for both of them, and you know this this was yard work weekend review because if your team actually, first of all, half coverage was on a bye, and of the remaining games, uh, you know chances were pretty good you could have tuned out quite early. There ended up being two games within two scores, only one game within one, and the big game in the conference of the week turned out to be a complete dud from a competitive watching standpoint. That said, it did not turn out to be a complete dud for entertainment value. Wisconsin 35, Michigan 14, and the hashtag varmint fight of the week. Yes, the uh, Mustelid battle was very one-sided. So let's talk about, you know, the team that was favored and took care of business at home, Wisconsin. Um, I, I was more than willing to concede this after their first two games, but now they've erased all doubt. I was extremely wrong about Wisconsin. I was, I was extremely wrong about a lot of things this year, but, uh, Wisconsin's definitely the biggest miscalculation that I made. They're good. Yeah, they're good. They're definitely the front runner in the West, I would say. I still think Iowa's going to have something to say about that. But this was a uniquely good matchup for them, the quality of the offensive line, because of the state of Michigan's defensive front at the moment, and specifically defensive tackle, where they just don't have any. They have defensive ends that they play at defensive tackle. They, they play linebackers in defensive tackle positions a couple of spots. The use of Jordan Glasgow over the guard on the one-yard line was especially uh, interesting. Is interesting the word? Uh, and, you know... There's only so much you can scheme around when you just don't have any big boys. And I don't know what Michael Duomfor's status is, if he projected him back this season. I've heard very little about it. They miss him badly, but let's not pretend that he's Reggie White in the middle. I mean, his return isn't going to turn this defense from what it is now into a unit that can stop the run against the Big Ten offense. We at one point had it. Illinois at one point had a 225-pound defensive tackle in the middle of the line while we were giving up 700 yards. So that's... That goes to show you, you need big defensive tackles. Yeah, because at this level, especially with the predilections of this conference to begin with, if you can't prove that running straight up the middle isn't going to work, that's what your opponent will do over and over until the game is over. If you want to continue to punt on judging the Badgers for now, again, you can do that. The Michigan offense has looked aimless most of the season. They still do. They, I still don't know what this offense is. At the you know Late in the fourth quarter when the game was over, they stumbled across the fact that, hey, we have all these 6'4 and 6'5 wide receivers that nobody can cover one-on-one. Why don't we fling the ball at them a few times and see how it goes? Why they were waiting to do that, I don't really know. But that being said, it's not like they were trying to develop a running game either because the running back who carried the ball the most for them was Christian Turner with six carries. They only ran the ball 19 times. So I don't know what Michigan was doing offensively. Shea Patterson somehow, somehow, again, because he had a somehow ended up throwing 32 passes in a game where half of the first quarter was one Wisconsin possession. So there's, there's not a whole lot else to say here. I mean, if... This is apparently the first time a Wisconsin running back has gone for over 200 against Michigan, even though these two have been playing since the 1800s. That's, I mean, that says a lot because, first of all, of the Badger heritage with running backs, I guess it also speaks to the historical strength of Michigan defenses. 
but yeah, Taylor certainly deserved it. I mean, he showcased his full array of moves, and what the the other perhaps the most telling thing was when he went out in the second quarter. I don't remember if it was fourteen nothing or twenty one nothing at that point, but it didn't matter because after like three more plays, it was like, oh, uh, that doesn't matter. Wisconsin's fine without their best player. Yeah, uh, Wisconsin was able to take out their value, their most valuable player, and still continue. To just run it up and down the field. I mean, it, it was... This final score is deceiving. It was essentially a 35 to nothing blowout. Yeah, and you know... And all in, for all intents and purposes. Now, I have a question. Did you happen to listen to any radio today? Because I did not. Not today, but yesterday was the good shit. Ah, okay. So, you did in <laughs> fact hear some of the locals yeah. light up the airwaves. Right. Heretofore, you will have at least had arguments in the Michigan fan base about whether it's going to work with Harbaugh or not. The and tr- that also a big argument over whether over what it means for it to work, what the threshold is. Yeah, that well, that's still part of it though because even with this loss, I think you'll still find plenty of people who say, "Look, Michigan is still regularly going to be an 8-9, occasionally 10-win team under Harbaugh." I agree with that standpoint. I think they could lose a game like this and they play Rutgers this week. I mean, they've got a lot of tough games the rest of the way this year just because of the way the schedule lines up with their division opponents being Wisconsin and Iowa, but they most of the time could still be an 8 or 9 win team under this program as currently configured. The thing is, when Harbaugh got here, that's not what the promise was. The talk, at least from national sources, was not the national championship question mark, but how many national championships and playing people not around two, here. Not three. <laughs> Plenty of people around here also declared that would happen within the first four to five years. I remember that pro- that declaration being made repeatedly. I'm a big-time hater, and I thought it was happening. I didn't know about national titles. I thought they were certainly going to take a dominant position. I thought they were going to compete, compete for one. Yeah, I thought oh, yeah. they were going to compete for yeah, one for I sure. thought they would for sure make a playoff within the first four, five, six years. I thought there would be a consistent force in the Big Ten where it was like, ah, shit, how are we going to beat them? That's not what they are. And, yeah... D'Antonio's only gone 2-2 two and two against Harbaugh because he's had the worst offense in school history and probably the worst team of the last 30 years in two of those games. Not because another, of anything Harbaugh's doing special. Here's another thing, though. He's got the second most talent in the country. He's got compete for national championship level talent. Can you really convince me that Lovey Smith couldn't coach this Michigan team to, to at least eight wins? Because, if they were healthy. Because... The front four can get pressure against lesser offensive fronts, then Lovey's defense works if everybody knows their assignments. So I'm saying, for that level of talent, I don't know that Jim Harbaugh is much better than the second worst coach in the conference. Yeah, man. You know, the other half of the discussion about the state of Michigan football and Harbaugh is, well, you can't fire him because then who are you going to hire? If it doesn't work with him, who's it going to work with? I don't think that's the correct decision, and it's much the same conversation, honestly, that Minnesota had about Glenn Mason. If you think that your program is destined for more than it currently is, and your current coach isn't getting you there, the decision about whether to fire him and then who to hire next are not one decision. There's always qualified coaches out there. You just have to find them, and there's a pretty good risk. Look at Michigan's last two spins of the coaching wheel, that whoever you hire is probably not even going to be as good as Harbaugh, but... At this point, you know what he is. If he's not good, if he's, if where he is now is not good enough for you, you've got enough of a body of evidence to spin the wheel again. Well, I mean, the other thing that we keep forgetting, a lot of people don't think about this, is that coaches get better and coaches get worse. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, 
I don't know that Harbaugh is anywhere near as effective a coach as he was when he arrived in San Francisco. No, hell no. I mean, he, I don't think he's as good now as he was when he first got to Michigan. He still had that kind of berserker energy the first year or two, but it just like... It didn't... He I didn't recognize him on Saturday, man. He looked dude, he glazed looked like, he over. He looked like Jack Nicholson after the lobotomy and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. He, he honestly looked like he had no idea where he was or what he was doing and just wanted to get out of there. Yeah, and he's he's had that look more the last few years. I couldn't I couldn't nail down exactly when, but this kind of this expression that he seemed to think it would be a lot easier or something. I don't know if that's like a product of an NFL mindset or what. Well, the tantrums have died down. Well, it was since it, was it the Notre Dame game last year where he got flagged, and then since then he basically has stopped yelling at the refs during games. I don't know if like. I don't know what that's about either, because I can't imagine, first of all, that anyone in the Michigan administration actually had the pull to say to him, you behave during games, young man. I mean, who, who the hell is going to tell him how to act on sideline? That seems to be a limitation he imposed himself. And it, like, it's, he seems, he's a neutered version of himself. And it's, it's bizarre, yeah. because when you look at his track record when he came in, I mean, so let's just go through the quarterbacks, for example. I mean, in his time there... The guys who have really played, he's had Rudock, who was a one-year transfer, probably his best so far. Well, and Rudock was, he didn't win the starting job at Iowa, right? No, he... He got they, passed up. Yeah, well, they, yeah, right. They basically went with Beathard, the backup, for the okay. bowl, for that bowl game, and then he left right So Rudock was kind of just a bit of a forgotten quantity. Yeah, he was a free agent. I yeah. Mean, he, he wasn't going to stay at Iowa. He didn't come just to play for Iowa. He just came here because there was a job open. But he wasn't seen as... Yeah, this is this is a guy that's like definitely going to go to the NFL, and yeah, no. but he had he had a career as a backup in right. the NFL off of what he did in that one season with Michigan, and then from there, I mean, it's Spate, who's a Hulk leftover, granted, but Harbaugh kept him and used him. John O'Corn for the one season, yeah, John O'Corn, a transfer he picked, um, Brandon Peters for a year, and then now we're on to Patterson, another transfer that Harbaugh picked. Well, Dylan McCaffrey, his hand-picked five-star quarterback. Is now in his redshirt sophomore year, currently sitting with a concussion, and has has been barely used. I mean, they've played him. He has yet to have any impact. Yeah, no, not at all. And it at times looks like the best of a bunch. And then Joe Milton, the redshirt guy who comes in and throws a pick on, I think, his first pass attempt. And every time he's come in, he, he does not look like he has any idea. So that's the track record of quarterback development in five years, well, his fifth year now, at Michigan for Harbaugh. And it's, it's baffling. This is the guy, again... The thing that I've, I've heard this from a lot of sources, but it, you know, a lot of people are being, well, looks like Luck might, might have made Harbaugh instead of the other way around. Yeah, there may be something to that, but again, once he got to the NFL, he didn't have Andrew Luck there. He had Alex Smith and then Colin Kaepernick, who nobody else had done anything with or likely would have done anything. How about this, though? When was the last time you saw Harbaugh punch up effectively? Not since he's he, been a he led. He led the biggest point spread upset in the history of Power 5 conference football. Yeah, 41, right, was the spread yeah. against USC. Uh, against Pete Carroll. Yeah, and he's now, uh, the stat kept coming up during the game. I think he's now 0 for 7 as an underdog at Michigan. It was that 0 for 6 or 0 for 7. I don't remember if he was 0 and 6 before this game or after it, but he has yet to win as an underdog, which, again, to his credit, doesn't happen very much. But that brings us back to... If you don't beat teams that you're not favored against, you're never going to... I mean, there's not going to be a situation where Michigan goes 15-0 and 0 because they're a big favorite in every game. Sooner or later, they're not going to be the biggest bully in the fight. 
And you gotta like you that's what your coach is for. You have to beat a team that's better than you occasionally. That's you know, even Urban Meyer did that. So I don't know where it goes from here. I mean they've they they've got to tune up against Rutgers, they'll probably dunk on them seventy to nothing. If they struggle at all in that game, boy, I don't know what to make of that. I mean Rutgers, despite losing, played okay this last week, which I guess this is a, as good an opportunity as any to slide into talking about that game instead. Um, it's not in the right order, but since I mentioned it, we'll jump into it. Yeah, Rutgers, uh, boy, they're another win on this schedule. I mean, the most the most plausible one is looking like Illinois at this point because, you know, they if they blitz and take away the pat, they blitz and they take away, um, you know, basically if they do what Nebraska did on defense and then don't do what Nebraska did on offense. Uh, <laughs> well, by don't, you mean don't turn it over, right? In your own territory. Yeah, sure. deep in your own territory. Um, yeah, it, I've definitely seen a lot more of the Chris Ash era is over takes online. Um, I don't know what took you so long. Oh, and here's, here's, here's the reason if we're going to talk specifically about the, about the Michigan game, um, there is no way that Harbaugh is confused enough to not just replicate the Steve Adazio game plan of give it to the back over and over and over because Rutgers couldn't stop it. Yeah. And that's, you know, A.J. Dillon had his best game in, I think, about a year um, against Rutgers. And the thing is, this is the result you get in a game when Sitkowski actually plays like a function, functioning quarterback. He had over 300 yards. I don't Did he turn? I think he might have turned it over once. He threw a pick. I think it was very late, though. And I believe in comeback. So he played the best game you've gotten out of him so far. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, Boston College held down the rushing attack to a sufficient degree that didn't really matter. Um... The other thing is Rutgers, man, terrible penalties. Wrecked drive after drive, extended a few for Boston College. Uh, the real the real problem, I think, with Rutgers is this defense hit probably the worst of Ash's tenure there, and they can't afford because I think the offense has improved, but not enough to make up for the fall off in the defense and not enough to be even an average uh, than one offense yet. So, well, and the big problem is that they've just never been strong up front. Um, not especially. They're, they're, it, which is such a weird thing. To say right, because to, to have a, a decent secondary, but then again, you, you often don't see a decent secondary at work because with a weak front seven. Because why would you be going deep? Yeah, why would you pass? It? Right. So, I mean, this I, I took a look at the box score. And I'm assuming that the box score I'm looking at is average. Um, defensively, Rutgers managed a total of three havoc plays all game. Havoc plays would be interceptions, sacks, fumbles, tackles for loss, pass breakups. Anything that basically wrecks a play altogether. Um, three of those, and they're all just your basic tackles for loss on 84 snaps for Boston College. Boston College ran 84 plays in this game. Yikes. Um, yeah. That if you know, if you want to know what it's like to, to be killed by a python, but not by it strangling you around the neck, but by like like wrapping itself around your leg and then just squeezing until you get an embolism, like that's what this game was, essentially for Rutgers. So it doesn't seem to me like there are any defenders of Ash left. The problem is because you didn't fire him in the offseason, there's not much benefit to firing him now. You still got to pay him. We talked about his buyout before the season. You assume they're going to let him play out the string on the whole year. And then I think once they get to December, his buyout drops somewhat. But you know, if you wait that long, the the only silver lining in knowing where you are right now is you could theoretically get a head start on interviewing guys. And yeah, you're not allowed to. Look, if you can't find the back channels to talk to the people you want to talk to, you don't deserve to have a good coach. So... Man, how lucky was Kansas that Les Miles just happened to... Yeah, very much so. 
And there's there's nobody like that really for Rutgers unless well, you believe. <laughs> un- until Auburn loses their first game and they fire Gus Malzahn as they so desperately want to do all the time. But since Auburn is still in the national championship picture, you can't yet fire him. Yeah, yeah, and, you know. <laughs> as I was saying, well, there's nobody out there you can talk to. Rick Shannon's doing anything right now. <laughs> uh, Al Golden isn't doing much. Todd Graham, Jeez. I don't think is. Is doing he much. really? Did he really still have a job? Todd Graham. Todd Graham. No, he, yeah, he, he doesn't. Does, which is so weird because I was like, he was basically at his best point, and then they fired him, and nobody picked him up. It was weird. Yeah, apparently he's a dick, but well, like, you know. he also he coaches college football, so like, what? So it comes the territory. Let's yeah, see. what do you expect? I mean, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, there's we had a couple other laughers we can talk about and, and get over with quick. Ohio State seventy six, Miami five, and Fun. that's after, and that's after. A foon f- nothing lead by Miami a few minutes into the game. Uh, from there, 76 straight points. Is that good? I mean, congratulations. You've proven that there is absolutely nothing that can be done to overcome an enormous talent gap. No, yeah, not even, not even the benefit of a first quarter safety. Uh, we, you know, again, we continue to repeat, and I think more people are on board now, that this is a fully armed and operational battle program, just like it was when we talked about it at the beginning of last year, the year before, and the year last year they had... And def- it will be next year, yeah, and well, the year after that. Last year they had defensive glitches. Those are repaired. The defensive staff under Greg Madison is looking a lot better. They're making use of their otherly talent. They got a couple of top 10 picks on the defense again. Justin Fields is a world beater and not eligible for the NFL draft after this season, so get you being that guy walking Oh, I don't know. Maybe they just grant him eligibility for no good reason for the NFL draft, huh? Yeah, they do that. Yeah. Apparently he just gets eligibility wherever he wants it, so maybe he does lead for the draft. We're maybe not, they just have to deal with it. We're not going to let that go, by the way, because this is, again, it's just another example. Like, there are certain entities and institutions that everything simply goes right for for no particular reason. No particular really reason. Really could have used a six foot six tight end that... Was like a borderline five-star player on Saturday. Illinois could have. Well, he's not a quarterback, and he's not going to a powerhouse program. So, spin, so cut off the NCAA chicken head, like that episode of South Park where we're trying to figure out how to restart the economy and just let it run around on a big, colorful wheel with eligible and ineligible, you know, wedges on it, and just see what one it lands on. And, and look, he's ineligible. That's what the that's what the chicken of destiny said. What are you gonna do about it? Guess he's gotta sit. Indiana 38, UConn 3. Well, that certainly happened. Um, It was pretty much like I said. Indiana is a decent football team, so they handle UConn. Yeah, you illustrated this beautifully in your infographics segment where along a line graph at one end you have UConn and the other end you have Ohio State and then the entire zone in the middle is how good Indiana might be. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, spoiler alert there. But yeah, no, there's really... Nothing to take. Yeah, they're 40 points worse than the Buckeyes, 35 better than UConn. But, you know, (laughs) apropos of nothing. I mean... What do you you make of them? I mean, because they've got got a game where you could potentially learn something about them. I mean, you as a Michigan State fan, like, what's your take? I saw a 14-point spread, and I thought it was nuts. I don't want to tread too much on the preview segment here, but the feel of this Indiana program is a little bit different. I don't think, uh, you know, clearly they're not actually good enough to knock out a team like Ohio State, although... Michigan sure feels like a possibility this year. Now that I've said it, I've probably doomed it. I do apologize to Hoosier Nation for that, and Candy Stripes is probably coming here to kill me as we speak. But, um, what, no, what this feels like this year, and kind of this sort of the general vibe I've gotten under Tom Allen in general, is that 
the days of Indiana fucking around and losing to an FCS team or even being competitive with an FCS team are They've got enough things nailed down, enough talent at all spots on the team, instead of just like a really good offense that even if not everything is clicking, they're not going to, they're clearly inferior team isn't going to be a problem. They may not quite have the ceiling and the explosiveness to punch up to an Ohio State yet, and maybe not to a Michigan State even, but I think they're going to give a lot of teams problems this year. I think a bowl game is a shoe in Nine win Indiana still feels like a little bit of a pipe dream, but... Six, seven, maybe even eight wins, depending on how a couple of the other non-Ohio State <laughs> East Division teams pan out. They've I think just, that's possible. They've just done exactly what I like. wish that we were able to do, which is they, they, they built the foundations of a solid program with, you know, Big Ten level depth everywhere. Not Nothing spectacular, but something deep. And then even though they lost continuity on offense with Kevin Wilson, they had more program continuity... Um, than you would expect given that situation when Tom Allen took over and hey things are looking up I'm not going to be I'm not going to be the crab that just pulls the crab down that's trying to escape the bucket <laughs> hey you know what good it's good it's good it's good that one of us uh, we die if I die we all die <laughs> yeah no no you know what Whatever. It's always nice to see someone uh, from our neighborhood make it. <laughs> Get your ass back on the couch and open another can of Rotel. <laughs> think you going bowling like you fancy. You think you better than me. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that got dark. Um, yeah, alright. So, Michigan State, 31. Northwestern, 10. This was a laugher because I laughed a lot. Yeah, I, I had a good time. So... What I think most Michigan State fans, especially the ones inclined to defend the program after the Arizona State game, what most people are saying is that, look, this is probably the outcome we should have seen in the Arizona State game. We played an opponent that's in, you know, dysfunctional offensively, good defensively, matched up against Michigan State's awesome defense, but meh offense. This is about what Arizona State should have looked like. And I, you know, I guess it's okay to think that there were still a long, you know, long stretches in this game, especially in sort of the late first, early second quarter, where MSU's offense stalled out a little bit too often. And again, I, I'm not willing yet to reset my preseason expectations, which is that this Michigan State team should and needs to compete for a Big Ten title because with the turnover coming next year, it's going to be a season or two before they're back in that picture, best case scenario. He's going to lick your whole arm if you let him. Like the entire surface of it. He won't miss a spot. I'm not sure how audible that slurping sound is on the podcast. I, never, I can never hear it when I'm listening to it, but I don't know how good my hearing is. So no, he'll, he'll do the whole thing if you... Anyway, um, there's, there's still, again, there's still enough misfires on the offense. I can't gripe about a three-score win. That was really a 31-3 win until we put the backups in late. Um, again, you, you can't complain about a multi-score confidence. I don't... Unless you're Ohio State, in which case, only winning by you know, 20 at Penn State or something is probably going to slap into you and your family and you fire everybody. Oh, this is September Northwestern. That's right. <laughs> Got them when we needed to get them. Um, the other, you know, I guess I'll point out that the, but with this win, Michigan State's senior class avoids, avoids the ignominy of uh, an 0-4 historical record against Northwestern, which has got to be a pretty damn rare thing, given where that program has been most of its history. There can't be very many people walking planet who have to admit, I went 0-4 against Northwestern as a football player. So yeah, what you would say is, I tried to tease our win flight try Brewster of the Week in our Michigan review by talking about locals lighting up the airwaves, but here is Shorts Locals Light. It was uh, 
What you're saying was a very refreshing, very drinkable beer that didn't quite fill you up. Nope. Doesn't quite fulfill the goals. But fulfills fulfilling for everything you need it to be. So it's weird because it almost seemed like that like Fitzgerald was the one to abandon the run and start throwing it. Um, you know, sort of. I rewatched this game after I did the outline, though, and it's fair enough to say that the run really wasn't working, but when they started to throw it, it doesn't look... And maybe this is just a function of Hunter Johnson not quite being familiar with this system and the receivers and everything yet, but this uh, this passing offense was not the Clayton Thorson passing offense, which was perfectly suited to stay. Uh, it, it looks a little different. Johnson's certainly a better runner, and I think in the long term, the ceiling of this offense is still higher with him than it has been with any other quarterback. You know, maybe going back to like Bassinet or Bache or those guys, but um, the, the other kind of interesting thing is that he that Fitzgerald pulled Johnson with the game pretty much, I would say, still in doubt, with a full quarter to play. And probably with the knowledge that D'Antonio would shut it down offensively as soon as he possibly could, he did. And then also play some backups. I, I just wonder, like, granted, nothing was really working, but <clears throat> he put the backup in and Aiden Smith immediately threw an interception on a screen that the entire defense knew was coming. Because he threw it and it, like, bounced off of one defender into another defender. There were, like, five Spartans within three yards of the ball. It was the most clearly diagnosed screen I've ever remember seeing. That's what they have a backup with TJ Green out. So what exactly Fitzgerald was trying to accomplish by pulling Hunter Johnson with a full quarter left, I don't know. Well, remember... It was, it was him waving a white flag. Though. Remember, though, this is the same coach who uh, left his second string in to save his starters in the second half of a rivalry game, having already qualified for the Big Ten Championship, uh, of a rivalry game as it became a one-score game. So... He, he, he played with fire and didn't get burned, so now he's just gonna... So I guess he's knows, just gonna take a very NFL approach to resting his starters. Yeah, well, so now he knows better, and he's gonna yell at the 40,000... I assume that 40,000 number is, like, the entire alumni base of Northwestern exciting, because he sure as hell didn't actually have that many people Northwestern. <laughs> Hashtag is a weird thing to put in your email. It is. It is. It's very meta. As far as being, you know, being fully online goes meta. Hashtag I don't care at freedomeagle.facebook. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And for one thing, I didn't I didn't actually I don't remember what he actually said, but it would not surprise me if Pat Fitzgerald has a hotmail account. Would it, would it surprise you if that's his primary like I wonder it's at hotmail.com slash northwest. <laughs> I wonder if he likes what his password is. He is the world's youngest baby boo. Well, I assume it's password with a capital P and a zero. Sorry if I just doxed you, Pat. Oh no. So anyway, what was, was all that left? All that's left is the only game that was competitive. Yep. Well, Nebraska forty-two, Illinois thirty-eight. Well, all you can really say about this game is that Illinois was supposed to win this game. If you kept watching this game, Illinois was supposed to win this game. Yeah. Lovey Smith just insisted on losing it. Yeah. If you can't win a game. Where, where the opponent gives you fields that short, like they had a 17-yard touchdown drive, they had like a 3-yard touchdown drive. You, you can't win a game where somebody does that. Like, the, the, the team that does that loses 99% of the time, unless they're playing a much, much worse team, yeah. right? This is the kind of like, oh, you know, hey, this, uh, woo, this ranked... Team, you know, struggled with this FCS team because they couldn't stop shooting themselves in the foot. But ah, they're just so much better that, of course, they put it away. Right. Like Nebraska against McNeese State a few years back. 
Yeah. It was it, like it that. It had a similar feeling to that. And So you win 99% of the time. Uh, you lose 99% of the time, unless you're playing a much shittier team, which apparently they were. Yeah, well, so here's the thing. First, if if you look at the box score and you're confused how there can be such a radical disparity, you said it. Nebraska did everything in their power to give this game to Illinois by giving them, a, as you said, I believe two turnovers inside their own red zone uh, by the time their turn was done. And then the thing is, it, so Illinois at least with Peters, only threw the ball 22 times. But they completed less than half their passes, 78 total yards, good for three and a half yards per attempt. Um, Against a eight-man box, by the way. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Because they were running the ball effectively, there should have been plenty of opportunities there. Uh, but man, yeah, they, they threw the ball 22 times. And as I was watching the game, every time they called a pass, I was thinking, they really need to be running the ball more. And then I checked the box score, and I was like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, they're running the ball definitely more than they're passing it, but it should have been, like, at least two to one, if not closer to two and a half to one, when you consider the relative success of the pass march. I, I don't, I didn't, the plan made no sense to me. Um, okay, touchdown drives of 37 <clears throat> yards, two yards, uh, 14 yards, and then uh, 30 yards for field goal. So, yeah, that's... And then there's the fact that... Um, with, I think, what, like one timeout and over a minute left late in the second quarter, um, Lovey decided it was time for snacks, so to the locker room. Well, as he put it, <clears throat> we were content. Uh, do you do, do you really, Lovey, were you watching the game? Do you, do you know why you're up right now? Do, do, you, do you really think it's because you're the better team? And it's, you know, you, I don't know to what extent coaches consider this kind of thing, but Nebraska has been... And fuego in the fourth quarter also. <clears throat> you had to know, and I, you know, I'm the group slack. Our Nebraska people were bitching because they were down two scores in the third quarter. And I was like, have you watched your own team? You're gonna, you're going to light it up any set. Like, you've actually been moving the whole time. It's just sooner or later, you're not going to give the ball to Illinois 10 yards out from your offense, from your end zone. And you're going to overtake them. Like, there's too much time left for you to be complaining. Like, if you, right, so the complaint really shouldn't be, we're going to lose this game, we suck. It should be, man, we made a lot of mistakes against another, against a better team. That's going to cost us. But yeah, it, and I called it. I told them. I know their team better than they do. I'm the best Nebraska fan on off-tackle empire. <laughs> well, and I'm the best Illinois fan because I, I, I watched that thing to the bitter end, uh, knowing what was going to happen. I never really believed at any point after the, after like five minutes into the third quarter that they were going to win the game because... We insisted on running up-tempo. We insisted on throwing the ball. We had so many three-and-outs that used up so little clock that, I mean, there was no way Nebraska couldn't win because they ran 98 plays. Yeah. And, you know, it's amazing. It's fairly amazing that I, I'm way more mad about the offense than the defense in a game where they <laughs> gave, gave up 691 yeah. yards. Yeah. But 98 plays, man. See how good you look after 98 snaps. This is a fairly thin defense. The offense didn't do its job, man. Nebraska is not one of the best defenses that they'll face. And Nebraska had, I mean, they blitz heavily to account for their deficiencies in coverage. Uh, and the left side of the Illini offensive line was abusing Nebraska. And I don't understand why they didn't just pound it with their best player in Reggie Corbin until Nebraska proved they could stop it. Because guess what? Even if you're going three and out that way, at least you're using up two minutes every time. The, the time of possession and the snap count 
was what lost Illinois this game because they were just exhausted in the fourth quarter on defense. The fact that they managed as the, the, the fact that they managed to give the offense a chance to to you know go down and maybe win the game is remarkable given how long they'd been on the field. And I at one point thought that Rod Smith was some kind of miracle worker at offensive coordinator. He's an absolute fraud. I just can't believe how poorly that game plan w- went in the second half. It, it, it was just ridiculous. And the worst thing that they did was probably the way that they used prize recruit Isaiah Williams, who was out there for two plays when they just did the, oh, it's a different quarterback. I wonder what we're going to do. I wonder what we're going to do. We're going to just run him. Oh, oh, we ran him. Oh, we're going to send him to the sidelines now. You just know. isolated one play. I mean, you leave him in there for maybe four plays and just let him run the regular offense. I don't care if it's just the one drive. You're not fooling anybody when you're like, Oh, here's the smaller quarterback, you know, or, oh, here's the bigger quarterback. One of those two things is, yeah, you're clearly about to run it. Bob Stoops set college football back, like, college football option offense back so far by actually scoring with the (laughs) belldozer package, and he did that because he had a bunch of 285-pound fullbacks that he would send in there. Um, My God, just criminal to use your best recruit like that. Uh, so he's basically, basically, Rod Smith exposed himself as option cubit. That's all there is to it. All right, let's take a turn around the country. Um, probably game of the week nationally, despite Utah losing the USC at home. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> Pitt knocking off UCF and uh, and celebrating like it, you know, like they were beating an actual national champion. Good for them, you know, I guess. It, this was a hideous game. Did you watch any of that? I didn't, but I remember being shocked. Oh uh, no, it was definitely it was one of those games where there. I mean, there was a pit was leading for most of it. For I don't know if, if UCF took their first lead after. I think it was after halftime. Actually, it looked to me as I was following it a lot <clears throat> like the Illinois Nebraska game. If Illinois had pulled a trick play to win it, you know, um, that's not a bad analogy. Both if both awesome. teams if both if both teams had about two hundred yards less of offense, it would have been it right on the nose, like twenty fewer points. <laughs> See, I yeah. love that you had both. That then you had that pit game to give me a window into what might have been. You also had, of course, that USC game give me a window into what might have been. As Matt Fink, the dude whose dad was like, "He's going to Illinois," and then he was like, "No, I'm not going to Illinois. I would much rather be third string for a coach that's." Looks like he's about to get fired. Uh, you know, for what it's worth, looks like you missed out on something. He played really good once he got in the game after yet another USC quarterback got hurt. To be fair, had he gone to Illinois, he'd probably be third string for a coach that's about to get fired. Anyway, yeah. So the 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 pit thing is is actually transitively, man. This reflects very poorly on Stanford. Suddenly, oh yeah, yeah. Suddenly they might like this might actually. Be the year that David Shaw loses control of this brand. Didn't Stanford get squashed this week too, though? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't think anybody's going to be looking at the transitive wins when they're evaluating Stanford. I'll put it that way. Other than those two games, pretty chalky week otherwise. Um, Although, I do have to give myself some credit here. I told you all last week on what you should watch that the Tulane-Houston game was going to be a fucking ball. Oh boy, was it ever. Yeah. Willie Fritz, uh, something I've never seen before in that situation. I know that Jeff Brom's done it, so don't don't at me, Purdue fans, but he's done it at the end of the first half when everybody's like, oh, you know, I'm used to him being Lovey Smith and thinking that he just doesn't need to run a play. Uh, So I'm talking, of course, about with 21 seconds to go, tie game, taking over in his own territory, 
Willie Fritz decided instead of, to, to line up in the victory formation to kneel it up to play for overtime. And then he ran the fumble Ruski. <laughs> oh my god! He didn't score the touchdown on that play, but they did score the touchdown on the ensuing play four that hours, won the game. Four hours later, I did have to call it out. It was incredible. That was amazing. I mean, again... Willie Fritz is going to be an SEC coach in a couple years, but if you're... I mean, if you've got a coaching vacancy coming up, you could do a lot worse. And I think this is, what, year two or three for him at Tulane? So he may not be ready to move on just yet, but he's got that program clicking in a very interesting way. Tulane's always been an interesting institution to me as we mentioned last week they voluntarily left the sec and then since then that you know sitting in new orleans which historically has been a decent talent vault uh they've never had any of it because they don't play in a big time conference anymore uh they, they just voluntarily exit the u of chicago themselves <laughs> and uh and best logo in all of college sports and maybe in all of pro sports honestly there are probably some minor league baseball teams that are better because there are some bananas ones out there um but no, Angry Water is is definitely my favorite college football logo. You think you think a better one? I cannot. No, I don't think one exists. Um, elsewhere, oh hey, Appalachian State went to UNC and won on a blocked field goal. Has Appalachian State ever uh, beaten a Power Five team on the road with a last second blocked field goal before? Not that I can recall. And then, uh, boy, the annual Washington State apeshit game. Uh, boy, they are the archetype for Pac-12 after dark. What was the biggest Washington State lead in that game? Do you recall? Did you? 32. And, they uh, led by 32 points in, in the fourth quarter, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Third or fourth quarter, yeah. There, there was a about a four-minute stretch where UCLA scored four touchdowns. Washington State's quarterback threw for nine touchdowns, and they still lost. Yeah, it was the, the, the third quarter. It was a 49-17. My goodness. Now, of course... I'm looking at the stats. 657 yards of offense for UCLA, 720 for Washington State. Guess what the turnovers were? I know Washington State threw at least a couple of interceptions. I think it was like 4-1. 6-1. to 6-1. So, <laughs> if you want to know how to blow a 32-point lead... Just keep making more possessions, <laughs> and eventually it won't matter how many points you score. You're going to give your opponent too many yachts. Um, look, I, I don't think this game is at all proof that Chip Kelly is going to work at UCLA, but... It certainly, I think it puts the lie to the thought that he's mailing it in. Or you don't get a team to play through that kind of deficit and come back and win, even against a notoriously vulnerable like Wazoo. And boy, it, it God, was, of course Wazoo does something like this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this of is course. my goodness. This is that that is so Wazoo. Um, so actually, hold on. Is this Chip Kelly's second or third year? Two, year two. Who who did he? Yamora. Okay. Who's now? He was in the booth for. Some game, like like he's on like the F core. I want to say either ESPN or CBS. Hey, I asked because UCLA has done this shit before. Just two years ago, that they annihilated Kevin Sumlin with a twenty-eight point fourth quarter comeback. Do you remember that? No. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. Saying, no, I don't remember that. <laughs> it was no, it was. I'm sorry, a thirty-four point comeback. Hmm. Uh, this this was basically the end of the Kevin Sumlin era. It was the first game of the season. Oh. Um, Josh Rosen. Yeah, so that would have been two. So yeah, Kelly's definitely in year two because Rosen, you know, Jim Moore Jr. had junior the junior version of Josh Rosen and couldn't couldn't make a bowl. I don't believe. I think I won like four or five games. Yeah, um, yeah. After again getting a uh, coming down from being from from a forty four to ten deficit with nineteen <laughs> minutes to go in the game, and somehow 
without committing any turnovers by Texas A&M. That's no turnovers. <laughs> That's nuts. That's, that doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. So anyway, you know, even if it's been a little rough to be a UCLA fan the last few years, they've had a couple yeah. of nights no where they have it. just been so drunk. Let nobody say it hasn't been wildly entertaining. <laughs> um. Yeah, so another couple of interesting, I mean, Arizona State uh, dropped one to Colorado as Colorado continues their, let's not throw it to LaVisca Chenault. They'll never see it coming strategy. I, you know, I thought I was going to be locked in with him for most of the season in JMC. I played him once and I've stayed away since because, like you said, it, uh, I get that double coverage on a guy opens a lot of other options, but... If you're not throwing to him at all, I have to think that double coverage kind of goes away after a while, doesn't it? Like, huh. Yeah, um, and then, of course, there was a renewal of the battle for the frying pan. Yeah, TCU-SMU. Yeah, that was a fairly entertaining game. Shane Buchel, former Texas quarterback, now for, for SMU, um, threw for nearly 300, and, and SMU dropped the Horn Frogs out of the top 25, presumably. Yeah, we're what, 24th? Yeah. But, of course, the big thing that we want to talk about when we're looking at the rest of the country is they're supposed to be SEC! SEC! They're supposed to be SEC! They're supposed to be SEC! Not an especially hideous week. It's only the teams that nobody talks about when they're talking about the invisible strength of the conference. Arkansas getting pushed around at home by noted power. Hey, they lost to the Spartans. You can't be ashamed of that. Oh, wait, hang on. Not those. San Jose State. Coming in and kicking that Razorback ass at home. Is this year two or three of Chad Morris? Because it's, you know, like I said, Willie Fritz is going to be at an SEC program pretty soon. Year two. It, this does not have the look of a thing that is going to turn around. Um, Ole Miss also hosted a bunch of fucking commies and did not, in fact, rise again. Do you know what I'm referring to when I say oh, that? Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Cal. I like to think karmically that that guy is what lost in the game. Cal is 4-0. Yeah, and though, I mean, those are the only non-conference items of note, but if you look at the in-conference results, uh, Tennessee and South Carolina may both be heading for college. Yeah, Tennessee's dead, and uh, yikes, South Carolina, I don't know what you do here. You d- don't fucking hire a retread next time. <laughs> I mean, like, I get that they had better success than anyone expected with Spurrier, so they're like, well, maybe another guy can make it here, but Muschett never made it happen anywhere else. Like, if you're going to get a retread... Don't you want part of that tread to include, like, a, a path of success? Like, you, like, so that the ground he goes back over is somewhere you want to be? He's just... This is... Muschamp's team looks like it did in the late stages at Florida, where they've got plenty of good defensive players, and they're schematically sound defensively, and their offense is just a chore to watch. It... <laughs> I don't know what they thought was going to happen, uh, but once all the Spurrier players on offense were gone, this offense was it, it was the, the down arrow at, at U.S. Cellular, basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, and, of course, Auburn is 4-0, which means that we can't talk about firing Gus Malzahn yet. I'm sure they're still talking about it. They only beat A&M by one score on the roads. <laughs> and uh, speaking of guys that were expected to come in and immediately compete for national championships... I know it's year two, but they literally gave him a plaque that said National Champion 20XX, and uh, they're two and two. I look, man, that's 80 more years he's got to win it before they're going to have to take <laughs> that plaque down. Uh, boy, if you're if you're in Texas A&M's program position a few years ago, 
I get why you throw a bag of money like that at Jimbo Fisher, right? I mean, how many other national title winning coaches that you would want were available? There's Saban, can't get him. Dabo, can't get him. Urban Meyer, can't get him. Because they're all better programs. Well, you, yeah, you couldn't at the time, yeah. Yeah, well, right, yeah. <laughs> Although it turns out, hey, if you'd waited. Um, but does Urban Wah be in a division with Alabama? I kind of, in any case. Well, if USC is not going to dig Clay Helton. Yeah, he, takes another, he takes another year with his family. And then, look, one of Notre Dame or USC is going to make a coaching change in the next couple of years. They're, they're programs that have high expectations, demanding fan bases. Kelly's probably just about out of people he hasn't yelled at in that building, so he's going to want to move on from greener pastures. could they wait long enough for Texas to a player in the Hmm. Because if there is any program in the country that would pay a coach $75 million <laughs> guaranteed to then go away <laughs> three years later, it's Texas A&M. Well, yeah, and, you know, the obvious thing to do, if you want Texas A&M to do anything, whisper on message boards that Texas is about to do. True. So if, they're, if they want to... Fire wanna, up FlightAware and monitor flights from wherever Urban is right now. Yeah, well, and the thing is, obviously, if you're a Texas fan, you don't want that, because you don't want Urban Meyer to go to A&M. So. Why? You don't play them. You want to watch them win a national title, though? <laughs> <laughs> Whether they play you or not. Uh <laughs> Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!